Let's jump into our teaching for today. So we're starting a new series today. We just wrapped up our spring series in uh, it, looking at some of the parables of Jesus, and today we're going to be starting a new series looking at one of the most famous passages in the New Testament, which is the Beatitudes. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn it open to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible with you or you're having a hard time finding it, that's fine because we'll have the text up on the screens next to me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. So we're going to be spending the whole summer in the Beatitudes. Uh, Today we're going to be doing an overview of the Beatitudes, looking at the passage as a whole. And then for uh, the the rest of the uh, about seven weeks or so of June and July, we're going to be uh, looking at them uh, individually. So, uh, well, next week we're going to be looking at the first two together because they kind of go together. And then the rest of them we'll be looking at one by one. It's going to be really, really great. Uh, such, a, such a rich passage with stuff for us to just soak out of it. It's going to be a great series. So, today we'll be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12, which is the whole passage and then uh, see what we can learn from it today. So, in Matthew chapter 1, sorry, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, When he, being Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you, And persecute you, and falsely say uh, every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, even if you don't uh, follow politics very closely, you know that there's one uh, routine that typically happens, which is that every time there is a new president elected, they give an inaugural address, right? We go through election season, campaigning, voting, uh, the, the new president is chosen, there's the transition, and then they give their inaugural address, right, this big moment. And what, the, what the, the new president does in the inaugural address is they put forward a vision for what the nation is going to look like underneath their administration. Or maybe even, you know, the, 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 the new president of a company or the new uh, principal or superintendent of a school, whenever they give their first address to the staff, What they do in that inaugural address is they give a vision of what the school, what the business is going to look like underneath their leadership. They put forth the the values that they are going to want to have established and become a part of the culture and the way that life will look like underneath uh, their administration or their leadership, as I said before. The Sermon on the Mount, which starts with the Beatitudes that we'll be looking at, but the Sermon on the Mount as a whole is similar to Jesus' inaugural address. This is Jesus' inaugural address uh, as his kingship for the kingdom of God. He's describing to us what life and culture and people look like underneath his leadership. You know, we often talk about the kingdom of God. You know, that, that's language that I think uh, maybe sometimes we don't use a whole lot in the American church because it doesn't, 
naturally makes sense to us. Um, but we try to use that term a lot here at Redeemer because it is a very important term in Scripture. We talk about the kingdom, and we, we talk about the kingdom of God and what God is doing and how he calls us to participate in it. But sometimes that can be a, a really cloudy idea, right? Like, what is literally practically living in the kingdom of God day to day look like? The answer is in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus's inaugural address. It's his vision of what human community and what people look like underneath his administration. But here's the difference, the huge difference between the inaugural address given by a president, uh, a school principal, a CEO, and Jesus's inaugural address. The best that a, that a president can do is put forward you know, his, his policy agendas. For here's the things that we're going to get done underneath my administration. What Jesus' vision does, it's not just a vision of, of policy changes, right, in, in, in economics and foreign policy and, and new rules and systems. Jesus' vision is how he is going to transform people, right? And that is quite a huge difference. So he's not just giving, here are a new list of policies that you're going to follow, Here's a new list of rules for you. But instead, here is what my transformed community, right? The, the, the transformed lives of individuals, men and women, who have come underneath my authority, who follow me as their king and are filled with my spirit. As they are changed, this is what that community is going to look like. So the Sermon on the Mount is an incredible passage of Scripture. We, we just spend so much time looking at it. And, and several years ago, we, we did do a series going through the whole Sermon on the Mount. You can go back and find that in a sermon archives. Um, there's just so much to glean from it. And just from the beginning here, and, and sort of the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Beatitudes, we have a lot to glean from, which is why we're going to go through it real slowly and, and pull out a lot from it and see what Jesus' transformed community looks like. So today... Like I said, we're not going to go through uh, any individual one today, but we're going to look at them as a whole to prepare us for going through them uh, individually over the rest of this series. So today we're going to look at the Beatitudes as a whole, the beginning of Jesus' inaugural address of what his vision for his kingdom community looks like, right? What, what we should look like. We're going to look at it as a whole and, look, and consider some characteristics and important points for us to understand before we go through the list slowly and individually, okay? So today, if you've been a Redeemer for a while, you know that I usually give you three big points and we go through them one by one, but today we're going to do something a little bit differently. I've got several points for us. They're shorter, and so we're just going to go through them uh, one by one, okay? So we've got several characteristics here, just some general lessons from the Beatitudes. That's our heading for today, all right? General lessons from the Beatitudes. So we're going to start off with point number one. So first, all Christians are called to the standard of the Beatitudes. That's the first point for us. All Christians are called to the standard of the Beatitudes. So it's really important for us to understand that all Christians are called to this standard. Like I said before, the, the Beatitudes, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus' inaugural address, his vision for what his community will look like. Now, we come in here today, and we, uh, we call ourselves a part of that community. We, we call ourselves Christians, or maybe you are still, you're, you're still exploring Christianity, right? And so you're interested, what is this community like that I am considering joining, right? So we look at this community, and we, we might start to come to it and listen to the sermon or read these Beatitudes, maybe read the Sermon on the Mount later, and you say to yourself, you know, that sounds really great and all, 
but that must just be for some of the people in the Christian community, right? That must just be for a certain class of people who are in the Christian community. I know that for very many of us here, we come from a Roman Catholic background, right? I know that, that's, that's a lot of our stories at Redeemer. You come from a Roman Catholic background. And in the Roman Catholic Church, there is this special class of people uh, who are called the saints, right? They're canonized. They are, they're, like, they're like the super Christians, right? They're the ones who, who, like, we're all called to live it out, but they really lived it out better than the rest of us, whether it was through being a priest or being a missionary or being, being some other kind of leader, whatever else. But you have this canonized group of people who are called the saints. But what we need to understand, you know, in, in the biblical understanding of Re, at Redeemer and what we understand by reading Scripture is that there is no superclass. There is no separate group of people who are canonized. Rather, we are all the saints. We are all God's saints. If you have, listen to me, if you have been walking with Jesus Christ for four decades, most of us in here haven't even reached three decades. Right? But if you've been watching, walking with Christ for four decades, you are a saint of Christ, right? Saved by his blood as much as the person who became a Christian this afternoon. So, we are all the saints, which means we are all called to the same standards. We are all called to the same kind of sacrificial living. We are all called to the same kind of uh, thirsting for righteousness, being poor in spirit, right? Being peacemakers and being everything else that is described in the Sermon on the Mount. We are all called to be uh, to the same standard of being salt and light. So we need to understand that, that all Christians are called to these standards. You know, most of you guys know, in addition to being a pastor uh, during the week, I'm also a CrossFit coach. And we do this thing in CrossFit where we have the workout of the day, right? And it's got all of these, these movements, and it's got the, you know, the weight that you have to use and the, the reps that you have to do. But you've got a group of people who are at varying different levels, right? Some people can walk in, they can do it no problem. But then you have other people who are just starting, right, or they're, you know, at a different place in their fitness journey. And so they can't do all that. Right? They can't do that much weight, or they can't do that many reps. They can't do those movements. And so we do something called scaling. Right? We scale it down to make it something that's more attainable for them so that they can participate and then get better. Right? Here's what we need to understand about the Christian life and the standards that Christ puts before us. There's no scaling. There's no scaling. Whenever we read the Beatitudes, there's no option for some of us to look at them and say, okay, well, it says poor in spirit. But for me, if I scale that down, if I reduce the weight of the reps, right, whatever that means spiritually, then that is what I can live up to. And whenever Jesus uh, talks to us about uh, praying boldly later on in the Sermon on the Mount, and he, and he says that you know, we're to go before God and to ask and, and, and believe uh, that we will receive whatever we ask for, you know, that, is, that is not just, we can't scale that down to, okay, well, I guess sometimes whenever I need something, I'll, I'll shoot up a little prayer to God and then move on the rest of my day, right? When it comes to the New Testament, in any of its standards, there is no such thing as scaling. And that is true for the Beatitudes as well. All Christians are called to the standard of the Beatitudes. That's the first point. Second, similar but a little bit of important difference here. Second point, all Christians are meant to manifest all of these characteristics. So there's eight different Beatitudes. Here's what we need to understand. All Christians, we already looked at that, are meant to manifest all 
of these characteristics. All right. Write this down. I love Mexican food. Okay. I love it. It, it, whether it's authentic Mexican food, whether it's Tex-Mex, whether it's Cajun Mex, whether it whether it's whatever La Hacienda is, okay? I love, I love all of it. All right, I love it. Um, I if you if you suggest Mexican, then I am down. Okay, and one of the one of the things that you will always get at a Mexican restaurant is the a la carte menu, right? Where you go, where you, you look in the menu, you're like, you know, do I, Matt knows, yeah, Matt's like, yeah, right? You look in the menu, you're like, do I want a burrito? Do I want a taco? Do I want a chimichanga? Do I want this or that? And you're like, oh, man, I can't decide. There's so many options. So say you go to the a la carte, and you're like, oh, I can just get whatever I want and, and not get anything that I don't want, right? It's awesome. But the Beatitudes are not an a la carte menu, all right? We can't come to the Beatitudes and say, uh, this one sounds the most like me. I think I could transition and fit well into that beatitude. So I'm just going to choose this one. Or I'm going to take these one or two and then, you know, not choose the rest of them. The beatitudes is not an a la carte menu for us, okay? We can't come to them and say, you know, well, you know, my spouse really lives out the meekness part well, but I think that I can live out the peacemaker part well, right? That's not how it works. All Christians... Right, just, so all Christians are called to these standards, right? But then all Christians are also called to all the standards. Whenever we look at this list, you might see some, just, just in reading it today, right? You might see some that, that you already in your Christian walk are already starting to live out well. You, you might look at it and say, oh, I can see how God's changed me to become more like this one. And that's wonderful. That's awesome. You should celebrate that. But then you might see some others that you realize, oh, I'm not doing so great in that department. Okay, you can't just ignore it then and say, well, I guess God didn't give me that gift. No, now we need to work on that one. Think of it this way. Think of, think of it as, I don't know if this is a great illustration, but think of if, if all the Beatitudes were buckets, right? You've got these various buckets, and as you, you examine the list of them and as we go through them in, in, in this series, you see, you know, one bucket's real full, but the other one's lower, and this one's about half full, and that one's empty, Right? The goal isn't just to, all right, let's make sure one is nice and full, or one and two, but whenever we look at all the low ones, we want to try to fill those up too, all right? We want to try to make sure that as best we can, and whenever our weaknesses are revealed to us, that we're living out all of these uh, characteristics as best we can, right? Filling up all of those buckets. One of the, one of the greatest, one of my favorite uh, scholars and commentators from the 20th century was this amazing, amazing man named John Stott, a British uh, scholar, and he said this, He said, these are not eight separate and distinct groups of disciples. Just as the eight qualities describe every Christian, so the eight blessings are given to every Christian. All right? Now, of course, it is completely natural that some of these might manifest more easily or more naturally in you than, than some of the others, right? And, and even until the day that you die, it's, it's completely natural that like one or two of those buckets still might not be quite full. You're, you're still working on them. That's all right, okay? That's, that's okay, right? The point here, the point here isn't that you, that you achieve these standards to prove something to God or to prove something to, to anyone in the church, right? The point isn't to make sure you fill up those buckets so that whenever you reach the pearly gates one day, you can show the buckets are full and make your way in, right? The point is that walking with Jesus and by the help of the Holy Spirit, 
you're working on filling them. You know, have you heard the phrase before? Uh, it's kind of a cliche, but it's one of those cliches that's r- really true, right? That the journey isn't always about the journey, but it, it's about the journey itself. Something like that. That's like the worst articulation anyone has ever said. What is it? Yeah, that thing. <laughs> it's not about the destination, about the journey, right? Now, now, in 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 the one sense, that's completely silly applied to Christianity because obviously the destination uh, matters, right? But on the other hand, once you're in Christ, then it, com- it completely makes sense. Okay, once you're in Christ, once you're following Him, if you have been saved, then it makes sense. Okay, you've been saved by grace. You have nothing to prove. You have no one to impress. Okay, you have you you don't have to earn anything from God, so your destination is secure. So now it's not it's not about that destination, right? We because we're pointed at in the right direction now. So now that we're pointed in the right direction, it's about the journey. It's about uh, walking along the road with Christ, right? Pursuing God the Father as He pursues you, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, working on filling up each one of those buckets. Okay. So that's the second point. All Christians are meant to manifest all of these characteristics. All right, now let's look at the third. The third point, none of the Beatitudes describe a natural personality. None of the Beatitudes describe a natural personality. Now, here's what I mean by that. Because I did say before that some of them might come more naturally to you, so that that might sound contradictory, okay? But here's what I mean by that. You know, uh, meekness, for example, okay? If you're someone who tends to be, I don't know, uh, if you're someone who tends to not struggle with pride quite as much as others, if you're someone who, who, who tends to not uh, be quite as much as, as a people pleaser as others, well, then growing into meekness might, be, might come a little bit easier for you, right, than... than let's say, being a peacemaker, because you can't be a people pleaser and a peacemaker, right? Okay, but while that, with that being understood, we need to understand this, that just being timid is not the same thing as meekness, okay? So being timid or being shy, that's just a natural personality trait, but being meek is, is not a natural personality trait that some people are just born with. It's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It is a quality of Christ that we can only achieve whenever we are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, whenever we are walking with Christ, obeying the gospel, being filled with the gospel, and, and growing into that story, being transformed by Christ, okay? And so the same thing is true of all of these different characteristics that we read about in the, the Beatitudes. None of them is just a, a natural personality trait that some people are born with and some are not. Okay, same thing with being poor in spirit. People who are, who are just humble or, or put on a false humility, you know, are constantly tearing them, denigrating themselves, tearing themselves down. That is not the same thing as being poor in spirit. You're going to see this as we walk through the series here, how each one of these, whenever we really look at it in context and we, and we consider what did Jesus mean when he said this, um, it means something different than just kind of the superficial understandings that we might apply to it. Uh, when are we, ju- we just read over this here? Okay, so none of these are just explaining natural tendencies here. It's explaining what a person looks like whenever they have been transformed by being in a relationship with Jesus. This is something that C.S. Lewis wrote about. Uh, in, in Mere Christianity, 
C.S. Lewis, right? Many of you guys already know him. He, he was the author of the Chronicles of Narnia series, if you're a fan of those. He was uh, the great, one of the most famous Christian apologists of the 20th century, author of Mere Christianity, Miracles, um, Problem of Evil, or Problem of Pain, and so on. Right? And in, in Mere Christianity, one of his most famous books, C.S. Lewis writes about how, about how the goal of Christianity he, he says something along these lines. It's a paraphrase, but he says, the goal of Christianity is not just to make nice men, but new creatures. And that is absolutely true, and we have got to keep that kind of a mindset on when we read the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes is not just about bringing out all the nice personality traits that you already have, okay, and really shining a light on all those positive uh, characteristics that you already have. It is about transforming you and, and creating virtues in you which would be possible for you to have without the help of Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's what the Beatitudes are, okay? Which is an exciting thing where we look at this, this list, right? Because on the one hand, uh, it's challenging because we look at the list just like, just like you know, some, uh, some athletes might go into a CrossFit gym and look at the workout and think, oh my goodness, Right, that looks like something that is completely beyond my capabilities. But then what if you had, you know, a coach? Or what if you had a Christian friend? Or what if you knew that you've got Jesus and the Holy Spirit who comes alongside with you and says, but we're going to get there. You see, so it might be challenging at first. It might be daunting at first. But how exciting is it to read the Beatitudes and to read the Sermon on the Mount, and to think to yourself, I might actually look like this one day. That is incredible. That's, that's the promise of what life in Jesus looks like. So that's the third point. Fourth, the fourth one is that we can see, or we may see the distinctiveness in Christianity by looking at this list. We can see the distinctiveness of Christianity by looking at this list. Here is what I mean by that. Whenever you look at the Beatitudes and, and Jesus' description of what both individuals and the community as a whole looks like whenever they live in his kingdom. You know, this is, like I said, sometimes in an inaugural address, the, per, the, the new president will give the values that they want to be typical or descriptive of the culture underneath their administration. And that's sort of what the Beatitudes are like. It's like a list of values that these are the values that's going to typify and, and characterize our people and our culture. Okay, these, and so by being our values, what that means is, is that these are the things that we see as, as great, that we lift up, that are, that are the things that we should be aspiring towards, right? That's what values mean. These are Jesus's values. These are, if you're a part of the Christian community, these are the values that we are to be living up to, okay? Now, let's try to take our cultural blinders off a little bit, and let's try to push past that fog of, of over-familiarity, okay? And then consider what that means, that these are the values that we're supposed to be living up towards. Being poor in spirit, right? Or blessed, or what blessed means is happy, right? Or happier are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Do these sound like the same values, which are the values of our culture? Do these sound like the, these are the values which are also valued by, by the world in general? If you're someone who enjoys history or enjoys 
cross-cultural studies. And so, you know, you're, you're somewhat familiar with the history of cultures and so on. Does this, do these sound like the values which have been valued by any culture in human history? Maybe you're somebody who, who enjoys comparative religion, right? And so you, you've studied some, some other religions and so on. Do these sound like the same values even that are valued by the majority of other religions? There might be a little bit of common ground here and there. I'll grant that. But by and large, what Jesus proposes here as his values and what we should aspire towards are the complete opposite are the complete reversal of the things that our world values. Just taking, for example, the, being poor in spirit, okay? Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I think it's necessary for me to describe this to, so that we can grasp this point. Here's what, being poor in spirit means that you see yourself as someone who is completely spiritually bankrupt, okay? That's what we're going to be talking about next week in that sermon. It means being spiritually bankrupt. It means looking at yourself and looking at your life and understanding that you have no moral or spiritual grounds to stand upon and present to God as this is what makes me worthy to be loved by you or this is what makes me worthy to be accepted by you. This is what makes me worthy to be saved. It means that you take an account of your life and you see that you have, you have nothing with which to pay or earn or achieve your way into God's favor and into his kingdom. You look at yourself and you are poor in spirit. You have nothing. So it means that you come before God with your empty, bankrupt hands and you just receive his grace. Okay, now, let me tell you this. Just on that point, there has never, ever been any other religion in this world, and I've studied a lot of them, that has come close to that. In fact, the point of every other religion and the, one of the virtues of every human culture has been the opposite of that, that you are to endeavor and, and, and that you are to build up the riches of your spirit, that you are to be spiritually rich, that through following rules or that through, um, through obeying uh, you know, various statutes or sacraments or through you know, going through the rituals, that you build up your spiritual richness, right? And that through following these rules, you make yourself someone who is a little bit more worthy of entering into the kingdom or being saved, going to heaven, earning God's love and favor. That whenever you take an account of your life and you ask yourself, does God love me? Then you can, you can say to yourself, well, you know, I think that he's, he's good, but I've also got some grounding to stand upon here, right? Maybe you look at yourself and you say, in terms of finances, right? Like, I've got a safety net of good works. I've been following the rules pretty well. You know, I, I was baptized into the church and, or I went through confirmation or whatever else. There has never been another religion on the face of the earth. There's never been even, just outside of religion, just in terms of, of a human culture that has valued poverty and spirit. That's just one of them. We, we could go through the others and show how, how completely revolutionary they are uh, in, in all the various world philosophies. What this shows us here is the distinctiveness of Christianity in, the, in, in this list. And let me just put forward to you that this is what one of the things that shows us the truthfulness of the gospel. Because here's the thing. If human culture is made by humans, that makes sense, right? And we as humans are all pretty much the same, right? We're, we, we share a lot of commonalities. Uh, we, we really only look different on the surface. 
It's only on the superficial levels of our cultures that we look different. Otherwise, we, we human beings, you know, we're, we're really the same across all time and history and cultures and, and nations and so on. We, we share a lot of things in common. And, and another thing that you see whenever you study cultures and history is that common sense human wisdom doesn't change too, too much across time and space and culture and so on. And so whenever you study various different religions, you see a lot of similarities in the things that they value and the way that you earn your salvation and that you, that you work your way up. You see a lot of commonalities because whenever people are making them, then, right, you see, you see the fingerprints of people working upon them in their, in their design. But whenever it is designed by God, you see his fingerprints. You see distinctiveness. You see things and characteristics and values which go completely against those values and characteristics which we expect to see whenever a religion is designed by man. So let me just put forward to you that little argument that this is one of the things that shows the truthfulness and the reality of Christianity. This is one of the things that, that shows to us that should make you consider that perhaps God did, in fact, come down upon this earth and walk on, in the dirt, die and rise from the dead, because this goes completely against all the things that we see whenever religion is designed by men. So we see the distinctiveness of Christianity in these Beatitudes. Here's my last general lesson. The fifth point, which is that the Christian and the non-Christian belong to two entirely different realms. That's one of the lessons that we see here in the Beatitudes and typical of the Sermon on the Mount in general, too. That the Christian and the non-Christians, so the one who is in the kingdom of God and the one who is outside of the kingdom of God, the one who has been saved and the one who has not been saved, live in two entirely different realms. People who, who have received the grace of God, who have, been, who have been saved, live in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is going to look different, operating according to these values, and operating according to Jesus' vision. And the world will operate according to very, very different ones. Here's the important thing that we need to understand about this. If the Christian and the non-Christian, or those inside the kingdom and outside the kingdom, are operating in two completely different realms, and as I was saying before, or saying earlier, two realms which lead to two very different destinations. As we go through the Beatitudes, here's something which must be before your mind, especially if you're someone who has, who has not made that commitment to Christ as your Lord and Savior yet. The destination of those realms. This is not a list which you can just try to start living out in your life, right? Going straight from just living for yourself to saying, okay, well, I can see how this would be good for me. Um, I can see how these are some really attractive values I like to add to my life. And, you know, maybe, maybe it'll be good for my family. It might be healthy for my marriage to add in a little bit of church and add in a, a little bit of this Christian thing to it. If you try to just uh, you know, if you try to just take, imagine your life is a tree. It's a tree with no fruit. And you see the beautiful apples of the Beatitudes and of the Sermon on the Mount. And you try to take these apples and then just nail it to the tree, which is your life. Is that real life coming from the tree? No, it's fake. It's just acting. It's just behavior modification. It's not 
transformation from the inside out, where there, where there was once something that had no life in it that was not producing any fruit is changed to become something that has life and is producing fruit. The first thing that must happen is that you must go from the realm of the non-Christian to the Christian. You must go from outside of the kingdom to inside the kingdom. You must go from not following Christ to being his obedient follower, his disciple. And there's only one way to do that. It's not by changing yourself. It's not by, like I was saying before, taking account of your life and saying, well, what, what riches or things do I have that I can use to make an offer to him? It is by coming before him with empty hands, just as you are, and receiving from him the gift of his grace. You see, none of us deserve to be in the kingdom and, and, and deserve to have our lives transformed so we start bearing the fruit of being poor in spirit, of being humble, of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, of being salt and light, of knowing that, the, that we have the glorious and beautiful destination of eternity being lived in the presence of God one day. None of us deserve entrance into that life. None of us deserve or can work our way into trying to get into the kingdom of God. You know, sure, some of us might be able to modify our lives a little bit better than others, right? Think of it this way. Let's say we all went down to, uh, I don't know, Sippermore Point. Is there anything more beyond, like, Louisiana than Sippermore Point? I'm pretty sure it's right there on the Gulf, right? Let's say we all go down to Sippermore Point, and we say, okay, now, in order to be saved— to go to heaven, you've got to swim all the way through the Gulf down to Key West, Florida. Okay? Here's the thing. Some of you guys might make it a lot farther than me. <laughs> Some of us might make it a lot farther than us. Some of us might only make it a little bit out there before we start to sink. Some of you guys might make it a little bit farther. Some of you guys might be able to swim 100 miles, right? Ooh, you're a lot better than the rest. But you're still nowhere near making it. And friends, it's the same thing true morally. Whenever you try to work or earn your way or take account of your life and say, well, here's the things that I can do to offer God, to show, or here's the changes I can make in my life so, so that I can enter into the kingdom, so I can start to be a part of this community. Because maybe you see your need for that. Friends, it doesn't matter how far you can swim and how many changes you can make. It will not be close enough because the gulf between our sinfulness and the holy standard of God's righteousness is much, much too far. It is an infinite gap, a gap that could only be bridged by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven onto earth, lived a perfect life, died the death we deserve, and then overcame death. Overcame, that, he, that sentence that he took upon himself was paid in full whenever he rose from the grave and new life. And here's the importance of that. So that whenever you come before him with your empty hands, you can receive that paper that says paid in full. That debt that was once yours, he paid for you. And so you can get the stamp of his blood saying paid in full on yours. And then that, that new life that he rose in and power in his resurrection is then inserted into you. Right? It is, it is placed into you. The Bible describes it some, sometimes as like a heart transplant. That old heart, that, that old... A tree that had no life and was bearing no fruit is taken out and then a new one is placed in. That, and, and that new life within you starts to bear new fruit and do new things and bring new desires that brings forth good things into the world. The only way 
The only way that it happens, the only way that you go from the realm of the non-Christian to the Christian and go into the kingdom is by receiving that gift that was accomplished for you by Jesus Christ as an infinite demonstration of his love for you. So, maybe you look at these, this list and these things and you think to yourself, I look nothing like that. Well, friend, there's some good news for you. There's potential for you to look like that. You can. That's my goal. Maybe it's an ambitious one, but I want to look like that list one day. I want my life to look like the Sermon on the Mount one day. I want our church to be a community that looks like the, the Sermon on the Mount. And I think it's possible, but... It is only possible when we first receive that gift of salvation accomplished for us by Jesus Christ and then through the work and transformation of the Holy Spirit and in our participation of walking along the path with Jesus that is then possible. So for those of you who are already working on the path, remember, you walk it with Christ, right? He's not down at the end calling you to, to make your way. He's alongside of you. He's helping you. He, 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 he's giving you the strength through the power of his spirit. If you're not on the path yet, you cannot get there on your own. You're a cripple laying on the side of the road. You need new legs and you need a new heart given to you by Christ. He picks you up and he places you there. So join us on the path by receiving the gift of salvation that is in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and we just, Lord, we are at the same time challenged by what we see in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, but we are also inspired, Lord. And, and it is just such an amazing thing to dream about that, that, that I could become a person that looks like that. Lord, that we could ha- have a community that, that begins and really starts to look like that, Lord. But we know that it's only possible through the, uh, through the help and the work of your Spirit in us, in us as individuals and in us as a community. Father, so we pray that you would uh, have your spirit come down upon us, Lord, that we would take advantages, uh, take advantage of the various means of grace that you've given us uh, through the means of grace of Christian community, that we would take advantage of this community that we have here, the friendships, and how you work through these things to transform us and change us. Take advantage of, uh, of church attendance and, and listening to the sermon and of participating in worship. Take advantage of uh, the scriptures that you've given us to read from them the words of life. Lord, through the gift of prayer that you've given us. Father, let us take advantage of these things, understanding that, that these are the ways that we participate, participate with your spirit to grow into this list, to fill up these buckets and become people who look more like Jesus. And Lord, if there are any of us here who, who are not yet walking with Christ, who have not yet uh, left behind their former life, repented from those things that they used to hold on to, and now just grasped onto the cross. Come before uh, you with, with empty hands, ready to receive the gift of your grace and salvation. Lord, then, then would, you, would you open up their hearts and, and give them that gift of faith to come before you and to say that you are now their Lord and Savior. Lord, so that your kingdom, which is which is the the people who are living underneath your rule and reign so the kingdom might continue to grow and it might continue to spread. And as it grows and spreads, it would be a blessing to the world. So Father, as we begin this series and we we look at the things that we have to learn here, may it be something that brings personal transformation, 
uh, something that brings church reformation and something that brings cultural and, and, and worldwide renewal. We pray these things in your name. Amen.